Billy Corbin is a documentary filmmaker whose credits include Cocaine Cowboys, Screwball, and most recently on Hulu, God Forbid. He also co-hosts a podcast with Dan Levitard called Because Miami, an extension of the wildly popular hashtag Billy started on Twitter that showcases the ridiculousness of Billy's hometown. And he'll be in Austin in a few days for this year's ATX Television Festival discussing the art of storytelling. For tickets and more info, go to atxfestival.com. Billy, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? Good, Trey. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. So I'm excited to uh, have you in town for this year's ATX Television Festival. I know you've been here at least a couple of times because you've been on Rogan's show before, and I feel like you participated in another Austin festival in the past, although I don't recall which one. Uh, have you spent much time in Austin? And if so, what do you enjoy about this place? Yeah, as, as, as exciting it is to see you, I'm, I'm mostly excited about Terry Black's, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what I, I, you know, we premiered our doc, Square Grouper, The Godfathers of Ganja at South By back in like 2011-ish, 2012-ish. Um, and that was my first time in Austin. And I was just like, oh man, we got to try to come back here like all the time. And and I don't get back back there as much as I, I want. Usually when Rogan invites me, you know, that's, that's when I managed to get into town. And then I was like, I'd always try like a different barbecue spot. And I'm like, where should I go? And he said, Terry Blacks. So that's like my first and last spot. So you might wait in a little bit of a line at Terry Blacks, but the thing with barbecue here, and there are places that I think are overrated. Terry Blacks certainly is not. You want to find that balance between really good barbecue and length of line. So as great as Franklin barbecue is, you want to sit there and tailgate for four hours waiting for your barbecue lunch. Terry Black's, you can usually get through that line in like 20 to 30 minutes max. And it is as good as any barbecue in this city. And by the way, they have the best sausage in this city too. I don't know if you've ever tried the sausage before, yes, but absolutely. when you're there this weekend, definitely get some of the sausage. And, and I'm familiar with, with overrated. I mean, I just watched that Boston Celtics game against the Heat. So, Oof. Yeah, speaking of, not to bury the lead, you being a Miami guy, how happy are you that your heat didn't just completely collapse over the last week or so? Dude, I got to tell you, there was a lot of Heat fans that that got post-game six got pretty fatalistic about this series. They like, including a bunch, you know, a lot of my friends at, at the Dan Levitard show, they were just like, they were, they just thought that this, it was a foregone conclusion. It was just inevitable that the Heat were going to lose this thing in Boston. And I was like, that game six, they were not supposed to be in that game, the Miami Heat. And they were in that game to the last 0.1 seconds uh, of that game. And and I don't know, I I was I'm usually pretty people think I'm a pessimist. I'm actually a realist, but I I I saw the silver lining here. I'm like, I don't know about this. I'm like the only thing better than than, you know, for for Miami fans than to watch the Heat win it at home is for them to this for Boston fans to have to witness the heat doing it in their house, like, like, well, like the Panthers did in the same, in the same building, no less another game seven. So I don't know. I thought that was, I don't know. I, there was, it was like, we had that fairy tale moment at the end of game six. I mean, I called it the teen wolf moment, right? There was Butler on the line. You know, this is a legacy making moment for him. He got three, he had three shots. I'm like, Holy shit. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, the guy could win the game right now, not tie the game, win the game right now. 
And he did for about three seconds, <laughs> for about three seconds. But my Miami fans are used to that going back to the Fiesta Bowl and Terry Porter throwing that late yellow flag, you know, uh, and stealing that net that that natty away from uh from the Miami Hurricanes. So that was that was a devastating, just like emotional roller coaster, that end of game six. And I don't know, I just thought. I mean, Boston Celtics didn't show up to their own arena, man. That's what happened. No, the Heat essentially went Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse and ripped the Celtics' collective throats out with a lot of time left in that game, too, where it was the fourth quarter and people had vacated their seats for good. I mean, that arena was mostly empty by the time the final buzzer sounded. And a lot of that has to do with the guy that you just mentioned, Jimmy Butler, who was a bull when I was in Chicago a decade or so ago, and I saw him pick up where Derrick Rose left off when he started suffering injury after injury. You saw how much of a player that dude was with the Bulls, and he's only continued to prove it over time. And now I would say that I don't know if he's the best player in the league necessarily, but there aren't many guys in this league that I would rather have on the floor for me during clutch time than Jimmy Butler. I mean, ESPN analytics, 3%. 3% uh, they gave the heat to uh, win this series. I mean, that's in Miami. There's just something about, you know, it's always been in sports anyway, an underdog town, I think in part because it's so young, you know, a lot of our franchises are relatively young. Um, so everybody thinks they need to like, you know, smack down the baby brother kind of a thing. But uh, there seems to be nothing that fuels um, Miami teams Miami players it's this perpetual chip on your shoulder it's this idea that you have to prove something and it's a real us against the world kind of mentality and the town is fragmented uh and siloed and, and self-segregated as Miami is it really takes you know the Miami heat to bring us together <laughs> it really does well, the reality, too, with this Heat team, with as many undrafted guys are on this roster, you kind of are the underdogs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is like, a, it's it's amazing. It's like the the island of, of misfit toys, right? It's a, you know, it's a bunch of, it's this ragtag band of misfits that clearly nobody wanted, right, on, on any team, let alone together on one team. And listen, this is the genius of Pat Riley. And this is the, I mean... I don't know that there's ever been a more underrated coach in the history of professional sports than Eric Spolstra. I mean, everybody sort of looks at this guy as the, as the tape guy, which is how he, you know, he, he got started. But I mean, is there a guy who can cultivate a team from, from what conventional wisdom says is nothing like, like this guy can, you can give him the three greatest players of all time and he'll win championships, or you give him, you know, this ragtag band of misfits and he'll go to the finals. I mean, it's just, it's a remarkable, remarkable career. That's a great, great take there. I appreciate that. We'll get back to sports here in just a little bit. Cause I want to talk to you about your, uh, uh, you, your former school, the university of Miami. That's right. The U and then uh, really former school. You make it sound like we got a divorce or something. My, my ex, my ex school. I graduated, uh, dude. I graduated. Hunter, Hunter School, always your school, especially if you have the degree. So we're going to get to the Miami uh, leading the charge on pushing the limits on NIL just a little bit. But I did want to talk with you about what you're going to be here in town for at the ATX TV Festival this weekend. And that is to take part in a panel on the art of storytelling. You obviously proven yourself to be one of the most adept documentary storytellers out there uh, with all the different efforts that you have over time. In your opinion, Billy, what is the key to telling a good story? Well, you know, the first job of a, a documentary filmmaker is to uh, find a good story 
and don't screw it up. Huh. Sometimes I, there's an R-rated version of that. You can imagine what you know what that is. That was my PG-13 uh, rated version. The PG version is find a good story and then tell it well, which is is easier said uh, than done. And especially when you're in the nonfiction world, that's literally what you have to go out and do. You have to find a good story, or in some cases, if you're lucky, a good story will will find you. And then you just have to tell it well, and you have to tell it in a way that is going to keep the audience engaged and that is going to do the story uh, justice. And so, um, you know, you need to consider that it's not just what you say, but how you say it, because first and foremost, you know, we, we are, we are journalists. And so we have an obligation to the truth. It's nonfiction filmmaking. It has to be, it has to be factual. Uh, but we also, as filmmakers have a responsibility to entertain. So we call our genre, if you will, or our style uh, of filmmaking as pop docs, because they tend to be a little bit Hopier, a little bit more fun, hopefully a little bit more cinematic, um, and uh, and and hopefully more digestible. Um, and in that way, I think it's it's kind of fun. You know, we did a doc um, uh, last November, uh, now the highest rated or most watched doc in Hulu history, called uh, "God Forbid," um, the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty. And um, our co-producer Todd Schulman, he he refers to that doc and some of the best of our work um, as uh, Trojan horse filmmaking which is to say that we kind of tempt the audience with the sugar of like, oh, this is a sex scandal doc. And then while you're there, you know, chewing it up, we slip in the broccoli. We, you know, we get the vegetables in there and maybe over the course of the the, the three act story, you maybe learn something about, you know, the, the world or yourself at the same time. Well, you sound like me trying to make meals for my eight and six year old. At night. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That, that works really yeah. well. Yeah. Get a dog to eat its medicine or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there a common quality amongst the stories that you find yourself drawn to enough to want to put your efforts into telling on the big or small screen? Oh, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly like um, Florida and Miami in particular is kind of a, a, a motif here. I mean, this is a, this is a, a remarkable just resource. I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's a, a just filled with, our natural resource here is is characters and stories, you know, and it's just like you just need to mine this town. I mean, we have a we have a Google spreadsheet of great like stories and characters, um, Florida men and women that doesn't we can live a hundred years and never be able to tell all of those stories. It's just a great, you know, Miami just has and always will be a sunny place for shady people. You know, it's it's the Miami's the mistress, it's not the wife. So people come down here to 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 act a fool, to to launder not only their money, but their name and their reputation. So they come down here and they can just kind of be whoever they want to be, regardless of who they were, wherever they came from, north, south, east, or west before. So you you it tends to be an exciting and funny uh and 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 funny place that way. So I think that's really the inspiration. And also I think, you know, the American dream by any means necessary. So, you know, hustlers, whether it's a legal hustle, illegal hustle, you know, gray market hustle. I think a lot of those stories, you know, those Tony Montana-esque kind of like twisted Horatio Alger, you know, overcoming adversity to to get it all and then finding a way somehow to to lose it. I think those are just and again, that's a it's not a uniquely Miami thing, but there's a lot of those kind of like, you know, easy money, fast money stories down here that that audiences, I think, just really like. 
For people who are unaware, Billy, you are the guy who popularized the Because Miami sentiment on Twitter first off, and now you are getting to co-host a podcast with Dan Levitard that is also titled Because Miami. What do you love about getting to add uh, this storytelling medium to your arsenal? Well, you go around the country and and the world and people you know, know us as like the Miami guys, you know, my, my, my producing partners and I. And so people have questions like, why, why, why is Miami like this? Why are you like this? Why can't you have nice things? Why is, you know, and so I just had to come up with a shorthand, you know, just to, to be able to answer those questions. And it's just because Miami, I mean, there, there really isn't a lot of ways you can explain it, you know, Expl- I, I talk a lot about Miami, but talking about Miami is like dancing about architecture. It's like you can't, you just have to kind of experience it or maybe watch some of our docs to just be like, oh, I'm never going to understand this place. You know, they, they call it, you know, they call Florida like, you know, the Australia of the United States because it's just this sort of like peculiar, inexplicable, like almost planet unto itself. You know, they say the great thing about uh, Miami is it's so close to the United States. Um, and so it's just like America's Casablanca. And it's like, you listen, it's where Flagler's railroad ended, right? That was the that was manifest destiny, was to just get the railroad to, to, to as far south as you could possibly get in the United States and battle the Skeeters and the Gators and, you know, to make it happen. Uh, and they did, and they were kind of like, well, what the hell is this place for? <laughs> what are we, we going to do here? You can barely live here, you know, in those days before there was DDT and, and central air conditioning. So they realize, oh, this is going to be another place. This is going to be, you know, I always say that that LA is where you go when you want to be somebody. New York is where you go when you are somebody. And Miami is where you go when you want to be somebody else. So that's that's the vibe. Yeah, lots of deadbeat dads there. I like to call, I, I like to uh, refer to Florida as the uh, as America's most flaccid member. And a lot of that has to do with the example that Florida man has set over and over again in news stories. You obviously highlight these in a roundabout way with the Because Miami hashtag. And I feel like Florida man, in an efforts to be the most successful version of him or herself, goes to Miami to try and accomplish those things. But for you as who has lived here, or live there rather your entire life. Is there an up close and personal uh, example that you have of getting to see Florida man in action, actually in person? I mean, the last couple of years with the crypto cowboys down here, I mean, the way that Miami became the crypto capital of the world, just in time for that to do what everybody thought it was it was going to do. That was the only one way for that to go. And the second Miami embraced it, because we, we don't really have indigenous industry here. We subsist from hustle to hustle. Our economy is all tourism and unsustainable growth in real estate and development. Um, and so we're just, you know, we don't have reality. We have realty, you know, so so. Um, no one wants to, you know, it's, it's, you know, they say, they say I'm, I'm a Miami hater. The problem is I'm a Miami truth teller and nobody wants that down here. Miami is a place where, um, you know, truth is hate and lies are love, you know, cause that's, that's, well, that's realty, dude. That's, you know, that's selling a dream or selling 
a property or a luxury condo or a, or a, or a luxury car, whatever it is. And so of course this would become ground zero for not Bitcoin and, and Ethereum per se, but the shit coins, you know, the, the, the hustle, the, what we call mierda coin, like, you know, uh, in, in, in Spanish, like th these are not, these were not, uh, uh, places that people should park their money. These were scams straight up. And the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez was selling magic beans. He was selling imaginary coins. They, he, he, he got involved with this Miami coin scheme that uh, while he was profiting from it, the, the holders of the coin lost 99% of their value until it was finally delisted from the only, the only crypto exchange that would even bother to, to trade it. And it was just like, again, we saw all of this coming but as soon as Miami embraced it, it was like, okay, all right, hold, hang on. Now everybody needs to really do their due diligence here because it's, because if you didn't know something was up before Miami's like wholesale like buy-in, that was the ultimate indicator. Now, of course, it made perfect sense that like the money laundering capital of the Americas was going to embrace one of the you know best and fastest and easiest way ways to to uh, launder money but it wasn't it wasn't just that it was the idea that it was it was all of the illegitimate you know uh, cryptocurrencies uh that came in and then suddenly everybody was selling their own coin and you just knew that this was gonna I mean Miami is like if fire festival was an entire city like that's what that's what Miami it's like, and that was Miami in the pandemic. It was just, it was fire festival countywide and, and the government was in on it. And we kind of have to do that because with a transient population, a lack of institutional memory. I don't know if you remember the movie breakdown with Kurt Russell back in the nineties, yes. he's like, he and his wife were moving across country and they like stop in this, like one like gas station truck stop kind of town. And the wife gets kidnapped. And Kurt Russell's trying to find her and they want they want him to pay a ransom and he goes to the sheriff and he goes. And the next thing you know, we realize is, spoiler alert, folks, it's 30 years old. So if you haven't seen it already, it's not like succession or anything, but like uh, I'm going to spoil it. Like he finds out that everybody in this little town is in on this. This is actually their hustle. They wait for who they perceive as like moneyed folks coming through town. They kidnap one of them. They get a paid a ransom and, and everybody moves on. Like and that's Miami. It's like you come to Miami we're all kind of in on it. We're going to grab you by the ankles. We're going to turn you upside down and shake you until all the money falls out of your pockets. And then we'll send you, send you along your way. Yeah. I think that's a great way to frame it because there may be individuals who are most responsible. Ultimately it is the system that is not just rotten at the core, but rotten near the top as well, because everybody's livelihood relies on the scam itself continuing. And I love that you call yourself a realist with regards to your state and your city, because that's how I feel about Texas a lot of the time. Like I was born in Texas, did my growing up in the DFW area, and I live in Austin now, which in my opinion is the most tolerable of the uh, of the places to live in the state of Texas. But I'm sorry, when every month is truck month on commercials on television, I'm going to have to call it out because that is a ridiculous concept in January, February, all the way through December too. Truck month, did you say? Yeah, every month is truck month, Billy. You watch it, you watch uh, broadcast television, let's say every third commercial talks about how it's truck month this month. Every month can't be truck month. I'm sorry. I love it. every month's iguana month down here. Yeah. And you got to be careful about the, uh, when, when temperatures get to freezing too, because falling iguanas are a uh, serious cause for concern. 
Yes, the chicken of the trees start, uh, they, they start falling. And even more frightening is they burrow. They burrow and they, uh, and they actually get into the foundation of infrastructure, of, of buildings, of roads, of bridges, and they collapse. I mean, like they, I, I've seen it happen to houses, to docks, to seawalls. Um, I mean, it's, it's crazy. They are wild, treacherous, treacherous creatures. But enough about the mayor and the city commission. Mm. All right. So uh, we're going to shift from corruption to a different level of corruption. And that has to do with college sports and NIL <laughs> during the fray a couple of years ago. Because your Miami Hurricanes, not your ex-Hurricanes, your current Miami Hurricanes are leading the charge with regards to not even hiding the fact that they are luring guys from one school to the U uh, based on how much they can promise for that next season. When got, does, got guys when, and girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. When does the uh, the college sports NIL thing get the Billy Corbin treatment? How far down the road do we have to go for that one? Well, of course, Miami became University of Miami. Uh, Hurricanes Athletic Department became the first school, of course, penalized by the NCAA for an NIL related infraction. Uh, I don't know how legitimate it was, but it seems like it, it might have been something untoward. It was the 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 women's uh, basketball uh, team and the, and the coach, the Cavender twins. Um, and of course, the 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 now kind of internationally notorious John Ruiz of Life Wallet. Uh, fame. In fact, I have an NIL deal, so I had to mention Life Wallet just now on the uh, on the program. Everywhere I go, I have to. In fact, I'm, I'm supposed to be wearing a shirt. My bad. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, listen. Here's one of these kind of classic only in Miami characters, right? This this kind of self proclaimed billionaire, but he's a lawyer who does like these Medicare cases, and he's got a SPAC, and he's going public, and the stock is now trading at like you know it's lost nearly 100% of its value. It's trading at 60. I mean, like, it just got the delisting uh, notification from, from NASDAQ. I mean, like, the whole thing is just absolutely fabulous, right? <laughs> like, I mean, if you're if you're in the 30 for 30 business, you know, <laughs> like, this is just like, this is a dream come true. And it's like the ultimate because Miami. Like, but here's the thing I have to say uh, to the defense of my alma mater is that us in Miami, we're guilty by geography. Right. Yeah. Like in Miami, there is a disproportionate number of people not saying John Ruiz is among them, but there are characters where nobody really knows where the money comes from. Nobody really cares. Everybody. Everybody's a great Gatsby. Like in this town, it's not like New England where it's like, what's your name? Who's your daddy? What's your legacy? Nobody cares. Everybody's like, you got money? Come on in, you know, like, and as long as the, 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 the checks are clearing, the credit card is, 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 is going through and the booze is flowing. Nobody cares in, in Miami. Uh, and so uh, in that regard, we do have around our institutions, around our politicians, uh, a disproportionate number of kind of unscrupulous people who perhaps got their money through mysterious or even ill-gotten uh, uh, means. And so that's going to happen. That's going to rub off everywhere because Miami, because Miami is just that kind of, that kind of a place. And you're going to have, you know, you're not going to have, um, you know, for example, drug money launderers or, co you know, back in the eighties, the university of Miami student parking lot looked like the lot of a luxury car dealership because all of the, you know, the princes and princesses of the cocaine cowboys 
<laughs> were were attending the University of Miami. And so they drove those gorgeous, uh, exotic, expensive cars um, from the Prestige or the Collection, one of these major duty uh, luxury car dealerships. And so um, Miami's just that town. So invariably, you know, even legitimate institutions like the University of Miami is going to, I mean, let me, after the Great Recession, as Warren Buffett said, when we when the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked, right? So all of the Ponzi schemes start collapsing. And so it turned out that the University of Miami had connections to not one, not two, but three different Ponzi schemers that had a relationship in some way or another with the University of Miami. But again, it's it's like I said, guilty by geography, man. Did the cocaine cowboys era at the U coincide with the Luther Campbell era? Oh yeah, uh, there was definitely overlap because because that was like, I mean, it coincides with the the explosion in success and popularity of the program. Because Schnellenberger comes in in what 70, uh, 79 and the the first Cooking Cowboys documentary effectively begins with the Dadeland shooting in July of seventy nine. Wow. So that that entire story parallels, and that's part of the reason why the hurricanes were so important uh, uh, in that time. Um, because it was an era in which Miami was declared on the front page of Time Magazine as Paradise Lost. So people were down on on Miami. And it's like when we were talking about the heat, it became this us against the world mentality. And when Miami was being ra ravaged by drug wars, by race riots resulting from police officers uh, uh, killing unarmed uh, uh, black men, when Miami was ravaged by the, the Mario Boatlift is depicted at the beginning of, of Scarface so famously. Um, mm -hmm. Miami was being kind of torn in every direction. It was becoming a minority majority uh, 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 town slowly. Um, and there was a lot of tension. Uh, and yet the Miami Hurricanes started to come, come up out of nowhere. Uh, and yes, there were guys from the streets of Miami that not only were were playing on that team, but who were being supported or who were supporting that team uh, uh, to an extent. And um, and honestly, let's be real, guys like like Luther Campbell, they were NIL guys, right? They were oh. they were they were pre, you know, the, the, everybody's kind of postmodern Uncle Luke now. Back then, they were really and what were they doing? They were giving guys money to pay for diapers for their babies because they were college kids going to school and playing football and practice. I mean, like, what was the crime there? It never really made a lot of sense. Well, and, and my biggest thing about all this, because I've been a proponent of this for a long time, even understanding that there would be learning curves and market corrections along the way is for a long time now, a lot of these young adults, which is what they are, have been completely exploited by old white guys who were enriching themselves and the I mean, they're schools, but let's go ahead and call them what they are, corporations, at the expense of these kids' potential long-term health here. NIL is a mess right now, but I don't blame a John Ruiz or these collectives or whatever. I blame I blame the NAACP. At the NCAA? I, I blame the NCAA. <laughs> I, I blame I blame the N, the NCAA. Uh and the and the reason is is they had ample time to figure this out. They had not years, they had decades to co to collectively come up with best practices. Mark Cuban was always tweeting about 
I got ideas, you know, hit me up. Like, I, you know, uh, he tweeted better ideas than what we wound up with. Um, he was tweeting about the playoff system in college football years before they uh, they bothered with it. Uh, and, the, and the truth is they never wanted to fix this nope. because, like you said, they were profiting from it. Why would they want to reform the system that was that all the money was trickling up to them at the top and the and the the workers who were generating this revenue on their backs and their bones and their blood and their brains for that matter were not benefiting uh, uh from this system uh it was a plantation system it was totally misguided and the people who were supposed to be policing it were the people who were profiting from it so when you have an organization uh uh you know like the NCAA that is making the laws, interpreting the laws, and benefiting from you know those uh, that enforcement. That's absolute power, and that corrupts absolutely. And they could have come up with a with with a system that was universal that applied. Instead, they they put it off until individual states and legislate uh, legislators started going. Hey, you're not going to do it. We'll do it. So you can wind up with 15 different states with 15 different laws, and nobody knows what the hell's going on. And this is and this is their mess. I put it right. I, I put it right. And Mark Emmert's uh, uh, feet. And they continue to enforce the rules subjectively, and they're not even like embracing this idea now to try and keep themselves viable. Their their biggest fight at this point is trying to keep college athletes from being considered university employees even though it seems obvious to anybody paying half attention that that's ultimately what has to happen here, especially at the highest levels of college sports. But I'm with you. The NCAA needs to be completely abolished. Their worth was, uh, their worth was minimized a long, long time ago. At this point, all they are is a slight waste of time for everybody trying to actually get shit done. You know? Amen. All right, he is Billy Corbin. Check out any of his uh, many documentaries. That includes Co Cocaine Cowboys, of course, Screwball, and his newest God Forbid on Hulu. You just heard it is the most uh, the the most popular Hulu documentary series of all time. Also check him out at the ATX Film Festival this weekend. Go to atxfestival.com for tickets and to find out more info and listen to his new podcast. I think you can watch it as well. And it's called Because Miami, co-hosted by Dan Levitard. Billy, thank you so much for the time, man. Safe travels to and from Austin this weekend. Thanks, Trey. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to you for hanging out. For more of the show and to connect on social media, visit BooksOnPod.com. We'll talk to you next time on Books on Pod. Thank you.